Hey, good morning. Thanks for uh, being here this morning. I'm excited for the uh, the series that we've been going through, Song of Solomon. And actually, uh, I had somebody say earlier this week, they said, you know, the Bible says things that I didn't even know the Bible said. And uh, we're going to find some other things in here as well that uh, may shock us, may surprise us, things that uh, that God talks about. But uh, this morning, we, we've, uh, like I said, we've been going through the book Song of Solomon. So this week, one of the things I did was I looked at uh, Amazon.com and I was looking at books uh, on relationships and on dating and those type of issues like we've been talking about. And I want to show you guys some of the books that I found, okay? I was surprised to see some of these. Can we pull some of those up? Maybe. There we go. Cougar, A Guide for Older Women Dating Younger Men. This is a real book through Amazon.com, okay? Uh, what's the next one? Captain Kirk's Guide to Women. <laughs> I, I, I was amazed to find this and I started thinking to myself, man, if I was a woman, that's kind of hard to think that, that way if you, you can track with me, but if I was a woman seeing a guy reading that book, I, I don't know. Is that right, ladies? I, I don't know. What's the next one? <laughs> this is a real book, The Ethical Slut. All right. I'm not making this up. Go to Amazon.com, type that in, and you'll be able to buy this book if you want to. I I think Song of Solomon is going to be much more productive, um, but that, that's that's just my, my input. What, what's the next one? How to Pick Up Beautiful Women. And what you have to look at here is is what's below that. It says, it might be hard for you to see, but it says, in nightclubs or any other place. <laughs> and one of the things I love best about this is it's by John Egan. All right? B.A. Wow, the dude has a college degree. That's amazing. Not a doctorate, not a master's. He has a college undergraduate degree. That's something to be proud of. All right, let's see the last one here. The last one, I promise. <laughs> how to be a sexual god and three easy lessons all right three easy lessons and what they had to do here because it was so much to those three lessons they had to go books one and two all in one edition so i i don't know about you guys i think what we're getting out of song of solomon is probably much more productive than some of these books that i could find on amazon but that's, again, just my input. <laughs> this morning, we're going to actually be looking at uh, the the wedding day. So like the last two weeks, we've looked at uh, <clears throat> who Song of Solomon was and who he was, just as a reminder, he was the king of Israel. Okay, His, his father was David. His uh, mother was Bathsheba. So he came from, from a, a pretty sketchy past within uh, the relationship that took place between David and Bathsheba. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. And then uh, Solomon is known as, as the wisest man to ever live. Okay, He wrote several books in Scripture. He wrote uh, Proverbs, which is a book on wisdom. He wrote uh, Ecclesiastes, which is kind of a, a recap of his life near the end of his life that he wrote. And then he wrote the book that we're in now, Song of Solomon. And uh, Song of Solomon is, is really just a poetry of uh, his relationship with his wife. Okay, and so there, there's, there's a <clears throat> kind of like when you watch a movie and it, ba- it, it kind of goes backwards in the movie, 
and then fast forwards. It's showing different scenes with, within their relationship. And today, the scene we're going to look at is actually the wedding day itself and then the wedding evening. Okay, gentlemen? <clears throat> I don't need to say any more. Um, <clears throat> so go ahead and turn to Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. I encourage you to turn there so that you can read along with us. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand real quick, and the guys would love to uh, to hand one out to you guys. And that can be your Bible to take with you. Uh, what happened to our Bibles in the back? That would be great, thanks. So we've had some technical difficulties this morning. They're probably working through some of that, so thanks for your patience, guys. But uh, we're going to be in Song of Solomon, chapter 4, okay? And uh, we're actually going to back up a little bit and go in verses 3, or, or chapter 3, verse 7 is where we'll start. If you guys need one of those Bibles, please, again, put your hand up, and uh, you can have that, take that with you. That can be yours, put your name in it, and I would encourage you to follow along as we go through this. As you guys are doing that, I started thinking to myself, <clears throat> wow, you know, we're going to be talking about the wedding day. So I started thinking about my wedding day, okay? How many of you guys can remember your wedding day, like the whole thing? Man, that's that's impressive. It makes me feel horrible. Seriously, I don't like remember a lot of my wedding day. I don't know why that is. Um, it, it was nine years ago, so I kind of give myself some some slack for that. So I, I don't know. Anyways, I want to show you guys some of our wedding pictures. That That's uh, my wife and I, obviously, right? Um, we took these pictures at, it was a park again, right? Horrible. A park, yeah. Um, <laughs> it was after the wedding. All right, what, what's another one we have? This, personally, guys, and my wife kind of laughed when I told her I wanted to show this and why I wanted to show this. This was like my favorite picture of the whole wedding. At this point, it was legal, so I'm just going to say it. It was legal. I love the pose, all right, because I'm just kind of like, wow, wow. Uh, anyways, all right. <laughs> what's the next one? This was this was this was a lot of fun. This was uh, walking into our reception, and my wife loves the Rocky movies, and so we had our, our bridesmen and bridesmaids, yeah, and groomsmen. Walk in holding signs like round one, round two, round three. And then we came in and, and uh, she, she's a knockout. And uh, she still is, gentlemen. So to me, you keep your hands off her. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, she is a knockout. Any, anyways, um, <clears throat> I'm excited for us to look here in this book, Song of Solomon. And we're going to look here just the first couple verses. And again, it's going to be his wedding day. Okay. Check with me here in verse seven. It says, look. It is Solomon's carriage, escorted by 60 warriors, the noblest of Israel. All of them wearing the sword, all experienced in battle, each with his sword at his side, prepared for the terrors of the night. Now, now get this. Solomon is being escorted in, okay, to his, to his, his, his wedding, uh, to his uh, celebration, and he's coming in on a carriage, he, he, he's being, he's being escorted by these 60 warriors. Think about this. Picture this in your head. He's coming in on a carriage, and it's going to describe the carriage in a minute. And he's coming in, and there's 60 warriors that are in front of him, beside him, probably behind him, ready for battle. So they're in full battle armor, okay? A couple weeks ago, we mentioned the three things that a woman needs from a man. 
Do you guys remember what one of those was? She needs a protector. Do you think as she sees Solomon coming in, this full garb that she feels protected, you know what? Wow, yeah, he can protect me, right? Sixty warriors ready for battle. Let's continue on. What's the next one? It goes on and it says, uh, King Solomon made for himself the carriage. He made it of wood from Lebanon. I want us to understand something here. That wood that he made his carriage of is, is expensive wood. If you read in other places in Scripture, it talks about cedars that come from Lebanon. They were expensive, uh, an expensive wood that they used to make precious things out of. So he's coming down. His carriage is made out of this expensive wood. And it goes on to describe this. And it says its posts were made of silver. Its base was made of gold. Its seat was upholstered with purple. Its interior lovingly inlaid by the daughters of Jerusalem. So as he's coming down, again, it's just like this royalness that is coming with him. We mentioned a couple weeks ago, again, another thing that a woman needs to know is that her husband is going to be able to provide. He's got a job, right? So do you think that as Solomon is coming in, that she's going to feel like, wow, you know what, he's going to protect me? He's going to be able to provide for me. And let's continue on. And it says, uh, <clears throat> verse 11, Come out, you daughters of Zion, and look at King Solomon wearing the crown, the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day his heart rejoiced. So he comes in. And the, 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 the other thing that we mentioned that a woman needs to know from her husband is that she is a priority to him. Do you guys remember talking about that maybe? She is a priority to him. Do you think that as he is coming in with this full royal uh, get-up, I guess, and this crown, do you think she feels as though she is a priority to him? Absolutely. This wedding is like an amazing day. Let me ask you guys, how many of you guys would be like, no, whatever you want for the wedding we can do? How many of you guys were kind of that way? Honestly, yeah, seriously, right? I mean, that's how I was. I was like, okay, you know, what do you want to do for the wedding? Well, I want this and this and this and this and stuff I never even thought about, right, guys? But I wanted to show my my, my future wife, now my wife, I wanted to show her that, you know what, this is your day. What can we do to make this special for you and, and me? But what can we do to make this special for you? Does that make sense? And so that is what we see through this wedding day for Song of Solomon. Those of you guys that are single, does that make any sense? When, when your, your future wife says, this is what, what I want for my wedding day, what is your response? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> right? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> now, the next part that I want us to look at here, guys, is, is that evening. Okay? It's their honeymoon. And I want us to take a little bit of time to look through this. And the reason I want to do this, and it's going to describe that evening in detail. Okay. Again, this is one of those passages in scripture that you look at and you're just like blown away that this is in God's word. And the, the reason that I want to take a minute and go through this verse by verse and talk about the things in here is because as I look within our culture, within our society, what does our culture say about sex? Our culture says that it, one, it is either God or two, it is it is uh, it is dirty, right? It's gross. 
Remember, we talked about that too. We, we said that sex is viewed as either God where it's held up on this pedestal like it is the all thing to worship. Or, or we talked about how sex is this thing that is gross that we don't talk about. You know, it's a, the naughty thing that's done or behind, behind closed doors. And, and Hollywood does a great job of painting both of those portraits, doesn't it? Am I right, guys? Am I right? I was watching a movie earlier this week and it, it was a great movie. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden he, Sleeps with this guy, with this other guy's wife. It was a Ghost Rider. Have any of you guys seen Ghost Rider? It was a cool movie just about CIA, and I love those kind of movies. CIA and, and uh, espionage and, and spies and just action. And I, I love those kind of movies. And then all of a sudden, just like out of the blue, the main character sleeps with another guy's wife. And I'm thinking to myself, one, why is that there? Two, what is that speaking to us about sex within our culture? Right? And so that's why I want to take a minute and I want us to go through chapter 4 is where it's at. I want us to go through chapter 4 and talk about what sex truly is. Okay? And, and I've had people ask me, you know, is it is it kind of hard for you to talk about these things up front? No, it's not. It's not. And you guys are like, really? No, you're kidding. That's not hard to talk about. It's not hard to talk about because I see how crucial it is for us to have an understanding of what true sex is supposed to be in God's eyes. Because if there is anything within our culture that I were to pull out and look at through a microscope and say, is that viewed within our culture as God would want it viewed? I would say absolutely not. Absolutely not. And that's why I have no problem us opening the scriptures and talking about some of these things that would make maybe some of us kind of fidget in our seats a little bit. Because my my responsibility to you before God is to take the whole word of God to you and, and walk you through the whole word of God. It's one of the reasons that I like when we preach through books of scripture because I have to touch on everything within that book. And so I'm excited, to be honest with you, for us to go through chapter 4 here. And again, we're going to talk in detail about some of the things that Solomon mentions in detail. Okay, And I'm going to mention to you seven things that sex is supposed to be. I would encourage you guys, if you have a pen, I would encourage you to write those things down, even next to those verses that we're going to pinpoint. You know, Seven things of what sex is supposed to be the way that God intended it to be, not the way that Hollywood paints it to be. Let's start in verse 1. It says, How beautiful you are, my darling. We're going to have fun with this, guys. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes behind your veil are doves. So what is he doing? He's starting at, at, at her head, and he's he's like holding her by, by, by the cheek, right, guys? He's holding her by the cheek, and he says, Your eyes are beautiful. He, 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 he paints the, he paints the beauty of them like, like a dove. Okay. It goes on and it says, your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. We've got to understand culture here a little bit. Gentlemen, don't go to your wives and say, wow, your hair looks like a bunch of goats. I guarantee it's not going to go well for you. Um, but during that time, what this was, is when you would look at the, the, the hillsides through Israel, 
people would be out walking their, their sheep and their goats, okay? And if you were to stand in a distance, you would see that the, the, her hair is black, okay? Her, her hair is midnight black. And you would see that the dark uh, coat of these goats on the hillside, and it would look like it was like through the wind, it would be waving through the wind. Does that make sense, guys? And so from afar, it looked, it looked like something magnificent because the hillside was covered with so many goats. Today, again, guys, it's not going to work, so don't say your wife has hair like a goat. Anyways, it goes on. It says, your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. I wouldn't use that same phrase either, either guys. And he goes on. He says, each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Okay? Each, each tooth has its twin. Not one of them is alone. What is that saying? Simply, guys, that is saying she is not from West Virginia. <laughs> I can say that because I have family from West Virginia. Luckily, they have all their teeth still. But that is what he's saying. He's saying, my, my beautiful bride. Again, he's starting at the head, okay? He has his, his hand on her cheek and he says, your eyes are incredible, baby. And then he goes on, he says, puts his, runs his fingers through her hair and he says, your hair is so soft, right? And then he looks at her teeth and he doesn't get freaked out. And he says, your teeth are amazingly white and each one is perfect, right? That's what's going on, guys. That's what's going on, okay? I think you guys are a little nervous than I am. Um, and it goes on and he, he, he moves then and he says, your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. What color is a pomegranate? Kind of a, a fleshly red color, right? And so what he's saying is your temples are, are like this, this fleshly red color. Why are they like this, this tint of red? She's blushing. She's a little embarrassed, right? He, he's holding her by the cheek and he says, your eyes are beautiful, baby. Your, your hair is, is flowing. Your, 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 your teeth are all in place. <laughs> And, and, uh, and your cheeks are, are, are just soft and, and they're turning a little bit red. Are you embarrassed, sweetie? Right? That's what's going on. And then it goes on and it says, <clears throat> your neck is like the Tower of David. Built with elegance. On it hang a thousand shields. All of them shields of warriors. He says, your neck is like a tower. Let me explain something here. Her neck, for whatever reason, is as long as like a giraffe. Okay, that's what he's saying. Your neck, you have a long neck. Okay? And so if I were to guess, I would guess that she is probably self-conscious about her neck. Right? If there's something on us, something... A, a part of us that, that that maybe is a little bit different than everyone around us, like her neck is a little different than those around her. Is she going to be a little self-conscious? Would we be a little self-conscious if there was something within our features that was a little bit different? Is that true? W would you guys agree with that, right? But he is saying to her, he's saying, your neck is beautiful to me. What he is saying, gentlemen, is that she is his standard of beauty. I don't want us to forget that. He is saying that she, no matter what she looks like, is his standard of beauty. 
I am not saying that he was not attracted to her. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. He thought she was hot stuff. She, she was a knockout, right? But he has set her as his standard of beauty. Let, let me stop for a minute. One of the things that we do within our culture and God speaks loud about this through His Word. God talks about the dangers of having relationship, sexual relationships before marriage. God talks about the danger of pornography. God talks about the dangers of cohabitating. And one of the reasons that God talks so strongly about that, let, let me back up one second. There are two huge differences between a male and a woman. Okay, a man and a woman. Male and female, two huge differences. And we see that through this text. A man is turned on how fast, guys? How fast? This this is like the sex talk your parents never gave you, right? I don't know about you guys. My sex talk was, here, Mike, here's a, I was like 12. Here's a book. Read this. If you have any questions, come ask me. It was like, yeah, I'm going to come ask you this, right? And, and, and today, let me tell you this. If it, if you're waiting until your, your child turns 12, it's way too late. In our culture, it is way too late. They're saying that we should start much earlier than the age 12 of explaining these things to our children. I would encourage you to walk them through this book. Because I think God lays out exactly what it is supposed to be. But let me go back. How, how, guys, how quickly has a guy turned on? This is this is uh, Sex Education 101, right? Exactly. Just like that, guys. Am I right, ladies? Your husband is like, hey, I, I, seriously, I could be sleeping middle of the night. My wife would kiss me the right way. Boom, I'm ready, right? From a dead sleep. Is that right, gentlemen? Is that right? Come on, don't let me hang out dry here, guys. Right? That is right. Dead sleep. I'm ready. Let's go. My wife, on the other hand, <clears throat> all women, I just don't want to single out my wife, ladies are, 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 are just going to take, take a little bit of time to process. Right? It, it's a little more complicated, isn't it? Right? A little more complicated. <clears throat> Men are visual. Am I right, guys? Men are visual. Right? Ladies, on the other hand, what is what is a, a woman's? How do I say this? What is what is a lady's most important sexual organ? It's her ears. Why is Solomon taking so long to speak to his his bride? It's her ears. She wants to know what he thinks, how he feels about her. Does that make sense? Right? It takes a little bit of time to process. Now, getting back to why she is his standard of beauty and the dangers that we face within our culture, men, because we are visual, we have these images in our mind from whatever, wherever they come from, from the past, and we need God to eradicate those images from our mind. And, and if, for, for instance, if you have some of those images wherever they are from, you need to pray, and God will do that. God will eradicate those images from your mind where you remember them no more. 
and your wife needs to be your standard of beauty. You know, it's proven scientifically and sociologically that <clears throat> when a spouse is involved in pornography, the relationship goes downhill from there. It goes downhill on all levels. Uh, sex, guys, is not a measure of how... When, when, when there is problems within sex within a marriage, I guarantee there is something else that is stemming from. Okay, it, For instance, in sociolo- so- sociology, they say that anger is a second emotion. Whenever you're angry about it, it goes back to something else, and there's an, another emotion that's behind that anger. Sex is the exact same thing. Whenever there is problems sexually within a marriage, underneath that is there's something entirely different that is driving that. Does that make sense a little bit? Does that make sense? This is kind of like, like a side note from what we're talking about. But I believe it's important because Solomon, again, is saying that his wife is his standard of beauty. And he goes on, again, he, he understands that her, 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 uh, her, her sexual organ is her ears. And he's trying to walk her through what he thinks of her and how valuable she is to him. And it goes on and it says, <clears throat> Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh. Before we go on there, well, let me back up. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I missed a spot here. Verse 5. How could I miss this spot, gentlemen? You'll love this. This will be like your life verse. It says, uh, Your two breasts are like two fawns. All right. You guys fidgeting yet? Don't worry about it. It'll be okay. Uh, like the fawns of a gazelle that browses among the lilies. Let me open this up for you a little bit. Okay? What he is saying, first of all, do you guys know what two fawns are? What are fawns? They're baby deer, right? They're baby deer. He says that your breasts are like baby deer <clears throat> that are kind of Bouncing through the lilies, okay? See, some of you guys are getting a little nervous. What what he is saying to her, well, let, let me ask you, where are baby deer usually located? Uh, yeah, they're in a petting zoo, right? If you go to the zoo, the baby deer are in a petting zoo. Am I right, guys? Am I right? Right? Am I right? Come on. Come on. I'm not embarrassed about this at all. This is great. Um, <clears throat> like I said, you guys have your new life verse. Um, baby deer are located in a petting zoo. And he's saying that her breasts are perky. They're fun. All right. He's having a great time. All right. You guys are all like blushing a little nervous here. It's okay. Seriously. It's okay. Um, they're fun. They're perky. They're, they're, they're just a great, a great thing for them to enjoy together. Am I right? You guys correct me if I'm wrong. That is what is happening here. He is going down. He's starting at her face. And he's saying, your eyes are beautiful. Your cheeks are soft. You know, your hair is like goats. Again, I wouldn't use that phrase. Your hair is uh, is lovely and beautiful. And then he goes down and he says, your neck. I love your neck. Again, she is his his uh, uh, idea of beauty. Okay. And then he goes on and he go, he goes down to her chest and he says, your breasts are, are like two fawns, like the twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Okay? And then he goes on and he says, until the day breaks and the shadows flee. Let me, let me mention this. I told you seven things that sex is. The first one, guys, we see in verse five, sex is gentle. Sex is gentle. 
And again, I want us to mention these things because Hollywood paints an entirely different picture that is not fair for us to walk into a marriage with the idea that Hollywood paints that sex is this, whatever this trash is that they give us. God points out specifically that sex, first of all, is gentle, guys. And then it goes on and it says, Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of incense. What is he saying here? He is saying, secondly, that sex is exhilarating. No surprise, right, gentlemen? But sex is exhilarating. And then it goes on and he says, All beautiful you are, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Again, she is his pinnacle of beauty. She is his ideal of beauty. He sees no flaw within her whatsoever. No flaw whatsoever. As she ages, is she going to look a little bit different? Absolutely. And again, there's no flaw within her if she is his pinnacle of beauty, his ideal idea of what beauty truly is. So the third thing that sex is, is sex can be scary, right? It can be self-conscious. And that is why it is so healthy for marriage to be built around trust, built around, you know, she feels as though she is a priority to him. She feels as though he is going to protect her. She feels as though he is going to provide for her. Gentlemen, you see that these things open these doors up? Sex is not an action. Sex is mixed with all kinds of other emotions, guys. Mental, and it is part of it physical, obviously. Mental, uh, sociological, there is all kinds of things mixed within, excuse me, within this. And it is all based upon how important she feels to you. On the other end of this, ladies, we talked about this as well. You know, ladies, your husband needs to know that he has a place to go rest. When he comes home from a busy day, he has a place to go and rest his home. He needs to know that, that she believes in him. and The things that God is calling him to do, she believes in her husband. And the other thing a man needs is to know that, that uh, <clears throat> their bodies, they share between one another. And that is what we're talking about here. So sex is gentle, sex is exhilarating, sex is is scary and self-conscious at times, and that's why those other aspects we've been talking about are so important and drive a marriage. And then it goes on and it says, Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Amana, from the top of Sinir, the summit of Hermon, from the lion's dens, and the mountain haunts of the leopards. Sex is means of, of union. Sex is a means of union. That is why it is so important to keep the marriage bed pure between a husband and a wife. Because so many other problems can enter in when that marriage bed is not pure. All of those things that I mentioned go out the window. These things that I'm talking about, they, they, they disappear. Because sex is a means of union. That is why before we are even married, we are to keep the marriage bed pure. 
so that these things can happen when, when a marriage between a husband and a wife takes place. Verse 9, it says, You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with a glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. Sex is sensuous. I want to back up. It says, you have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. There's, there's, I, I remember it was like maybe the second or maybe third time I went to pick up my wife for a date. And uh, <clears throat> I remember my mother-in-law coming to me and she said to me, she said, now remember, Connie is your sister. And I, I think to myself, wait a minute, seriously? No way. This is like West Virginia all over again. No way. She cannot be my sister. Right? But what my, what my mother-in-law was saying to me, Scripture says in other places that before we are married, that I should treat her as though she is a sister to me. Right, gentlemen? If you're dating, do you treat that lady as though she is your sister? That's a pretty high standard to have, isn't it? But as you enter into a marriage relationship, as you can see, the rewards are huge. It goes on, verse 10, it says, How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine? And the fragrance fragrance of your perfume than any spice. Ladies smell different than guys, don't they? Right? You know, I, my, my car, I don't know what's wrong with it. But my car, when I come home, I, I work uh, in an office. Okay? It's in an engineering office. I do all kinds of stuff with drawings on computers. Uh, it's not very exciting anyways. Um, but, but I drive home and my car puts off some, I don't know, weird exhaust or something inside. And so when I walk into the house, I smell like I was just in a mechanic's garage, right? And I don't know why my wife comes up and kind of gives me a hug and I miss you today, you know, uh, and it's like, wow, you know, I'll come home smelling more like a mechanic more often, right? Now, if my wife comes home smelling like a mechanic, what am I going to, uh, can you please take a shower, you know, you know, could you put on some perfume, you know, Right? But guys and ladies smell different, don't they? And so he is saying that, that she has a sweet scent to her. And he goes on, verse 11, he says, Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. He says, your lips are amazing. Milk and honey are under your tongue. How does he know this? Let's put it this way. French kissing came long before France. Okay? The fragrance of your garments is like that of Lebanon. Then he goes on in verse 12. He says, you are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. He says, you cared for yourself. You are pure. He's saying she is a virgin. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits, with henna and nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with every kind of incense tree with myrrh and aloes and all the finest spices. He's saying she is a garden that's blossoming within 
their newfound marriage. And then he goes on, he says, You are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. He goes on, verse 16, Awake north wind and come, south wind, blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread abroad. Let my lover come into his garden and taste its choicest fruits. Number six, sex is responsive. She gives herself to him. Verse five, or chapter five, verse one. I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb and my, my honey, and I have drunk my wine and my milk. Verse, or the seventh thing I said, sex is nourishing. And then it goes here, the last, last thing. Again, they point out who's speaking within this book, and it says, friends. And, and the friends' response is, eat, oh friends. And drink, drink your fill, O lovers. I question whether this is truly the friend speaking here. I don't know about you guys. My friends, I made sure weren't around on our honeymoon, right? You know, we're going somewhere and you guys have no idea where it is and we're going to keep it that way, right? So I, I wonder if that is God that is pleased with their marriage. I, I can't prove that. I don't know for sure. But I wonder if God is saying, eat, O friends, and drink. Drink your fill, O lovers. I want to take a side note here real quick. We don't have much time left, but I think this is important for us to to mention, guys. This is where we would expect the the credits to start rolling, right? The end of the movie, you know. They're married. They, 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 they have joined together. They become one. They're enjoying one another. They're enjoying their marriage. And we would expect the credits to start rolling here, wouldn't we? I don't know how much you guys know about Solomon's story but it doesn't end there, and it doesn't end very well. Back up to, with me to First Kings real quick. Again, we don't have much time, but I think this is extremely important for us to know. <clears throat> Go back to First Kings chapter 11. I'm going to jump right in. Verse 1, it says, King Solomon, however, again, where we would expect the, the credits to roll, it says, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, besides the lady that we're talking about in Song of Solomon, unfortunately it says he loved the Moabites, he loved the Ammonites, the Edomites, Sidonians, and the Hittites. Verse 2, it says, They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites you must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, it says basically Solomon didn't heed to God's warnings. And it says Solomon held fast to these women in love. He says he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, basically girlfriends. He had 700 wives and 300 girlfriends. And it says his wives led him astray. It says as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. <clears throat> and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. It says, uh, verse 5, he followed Ashtoreth. Just to let you guys know, Ashtoreth, their, their symbol was a symbol of a male sex organ. 
and their form of worship was to have sex in the temple, in the temples with prostitutes. He built these altars in place of where the temple was for God. And it goes on and it says, the goddess of the Sidonians is who Ashtoreth was. And then, uh, and it says, Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites, it says in history that they burned kids for their sacrifices. Verse 6, so Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely. Verse 7, on a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Kamash, the detestable god of Moab. Kamash, too, sacrificed children for their worship. As we close here, I want us to understand something. We can sit here and we could say, you know what? That is never going to happen to me. That is never going to happen to me. And we can sit here and we can say that, uh, wow, you know, those people were horrible. They, they sacrificed children in their worship. You know what? We do the same thing. We call it choice. They call it worship. We call it choice. Breaks my heart. We can sit here and we say, man, he, you know, he had 700 wives and 300 girlfriends. What was wrong with that dude? Gentlemen, how many images do you have floating around in your mind? Do you have a digital harem? These things are no different. We try to make them look different to make ourselves feel better about us. But there is no difference. I know these words right now are hitting hard, but but I, I believe that hard words create soft hearts. And I believe that soft words create hard hearts. And my prayer for Awaken is that God creates soft hearts within His people. No matter what we have to listen, no, no matter what part of His Word we have to dissect for that to happen. And again, we can sit here and we can say, wow, you know, that's that's never going to happen to me. Let me encourage you with something. Anything is possible when we drift away from the Lord. What happened to Solomon? Somewhere it says as he grew older, his heart was no longer focused on God. He drifted. I have seen so many people that are passionate about pursuing Christ as they are young. And as they grow older, they drift more and more away from who God is. And then you see these things happen within their lives. Things that they said would never happen. People that married that said, I will never cheat on my spouse. I will never do anything like this. And it happens again. Because anything is possible for any of us to do when we drift away from who God is. So each week I've been given homework. You know, the first week I think I mentioned, uh, you know, I want you to, to talk to your spouse and tell him and her, you know, what is an amazing feature of them, both physical and both within their characteristic. And for those that are singles, I said, you know, it might be wise just stick with characteristics, right? Uh, and then the second week I say, you know, talk about, we talked about the foxes, the things that can interfere within a marriage. And I challenged us, you know, go home and talk to your wife and your husband about what are those things that can interfere with your marriage. 
this week, guys, I want to challenge us as I finish up, as the band comes up to, uh, to close us out. I want to challenge us, guys. Where are you at in your walk with Christ? Because again, anything is possible. Solomon drifted so far from God. Places that we said we would never go. Places that I am sure he said he would never go. And it's because he lost sight of who God was. He lost sight of Jesus Christ. So I challenge us this week to take stock, to evaluate where are we at in our pursuit of Christ. And I'm not one to say, you know, hey, are you reading your Bible every day? Are you praying every day? Are you coming to church every week? Those things are all important, okay? Those things are all important. But I want to ask a very specific question. Do you love Jesus more today than you did six months ago? Do you love Jesus more today than you did a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago? Can we take stock of that this week, guys? Because as we're finding out in Scripture, a marriage needs to be built around Jesus Christ. And when it is built around Jesus Christ, it is an amazing thing, isn't it? Something to not be ashamed of. Something to celebrate. Something to enjoy. Maybe some of us are here this morning and we're asking the question, who is Jesus Christ? And if, if that's where you're at, I would encourage you, come to me and ask me, you know, check, check, check with me and I would love to help you understand who that is. You know, he came in pursuit of us because we drifted so far from God. And if we just cry out to him and say, Jesus, I need to give you my life. I understand I, I've drifted in my sin from you and I need to come back to you maybe. Or I just need the first time in my life to come to you and give you my life. Please repair the things that are wrong in my life. Prepare my marriage maybe. I, I don't know where you're at. Prepare other relationships around me, whatever it is. But let's take stock of that this week, guys.
Invite the ushers to come down for the altar. Lord, we thank you so much for this time, Lord, that we can just give back, Lord. To give of the many things that you've given us. And just pray that we give with a cheerful heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Some 